Oh, praise the Lord, everybody. I have finally made it to Potts Camp. Now I can make my way to heaven. Amen. I've heard about this wonderful congregation for so many years, and I've known your pastor for many years, so thankful for his leadership, and Bishop and Sister Wilson, don't we love them as well? Aren't they amazing people and their family? Amen. I, uh, I have such a high regard for this church. You can be seated. And uh, um, such a high regard for this congregation and your leadership, and so honored to be here. And Brother Austin Hughes and his family, they picked me up late from the airport last night because there was a lot of storms. I had some delays, and uh, thank you for picking me up, and appreciate you and who he is. What a, what a great young minister, minister really, not just young, but use of the Lord. Uh, I don't know if I've ever found a person that is more hungry for the things of God than him, and I've noticed that in him, in meetings I've been at, just desire for the things of the Lord. There's nothing like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Do you believe that? Amen. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame. I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so I'll cherish the old rugged Till my trophies at last I lay down. How many love the cross today? I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a Clap your hands and thank him for the cross.
Look at your neighbor and say, I know it was the blood. Come on, turn around to somebody near you and say, I know it was the blood. Amen. He picked me up. He turned me around. He placed my feet on solid ground. Amen. That's why I praise the master. Amen. The Savior. I thank God this morning. I thank God this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, we are living in the greatest hour of the church of Jesus Christ. There's never been a better day than right now for an old-fashioned revival that'll shake cities, shake backsliders, shake different denominations. It's the greatest hour of the churches right now. Thank God for what he did in the 70s and 80s and 90s, but greater yet is greater yet is to come, amen. Greater still is yet to come. High five your neighbor and say, greater is among us. Amen, 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 amen. Woo! I shout right now, there's a miracle in the making. You might as well get it. My dad was in service one time. You have to know my dad. My dad was in service one time and he was, he was preaching. He said, if you don't want your miracle, I'm going to ask God to give it to me. He said, a lady jumped up out of her seat and said, I don't want you to get my miracle. Ran up to the front of the church and got healed. Amen. God gave her a miracle. I'm going to tell you, Pots Camp, if you don't want it, I'm going to ask God to give it to me. I want everything he's got for me. Is there anybody that wants what God has for you? Amen, amen. The book of Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, reading with verse 50. I, I do want to say that how honored I am to be here. I really am. I wish my wife and my children could be here. I'm, uh, this year we had been, in March we celebrated 20 years of marriage. Married my childhood sweetheart. And uh, I married an angel, I tell you. Wonderful lady. Name Cindy. I don't ever remember not loving Cindy. We got four children, and how in the world did that little bundle of joy that was born turn 18 just last month? What are we gonna do about that? I don't know. Lakin, and she got a brother 16 named Sawyer, and Sawyer's got a dog named Tom. I said, go feed Tom, Sawyer. <laughs> He's got a little brother named Finn. You know what his dog was named? Uh, <laughs> and in between those two boys is a beautiful little girl named Jillian. That wasn't supposed to live when she was born. Born two and a half months early. The medical team says she's not going to make it. But God. She's 14 now, amen, full of joy. Somebody say praise the Lord. I would like to turn your attention to Matthew 27 and 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He died. That's what that means. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. 
from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake. Everybody say, the earth did quake. It says, and the rocks rent. Hard things were broken open. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Everybody say, they got up came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Praise God. I I would like to preach from this portion of scripture on simply a divine shift. A divine shift. Everybody say a divine shift. Amen. God bless you as you are seated this morning. It was in New Madrid in December, New Madrid, Missouri, December the 16th, 1811. Something happened that has not been matched since east of the Rocky Mountains. An earthquake hit there that was 7.2 on the Rector scale. and It was so powerful in this small, quaint community in Missouri. It was so powerful that it It forever changed the landscape of that town. But not only did it impact that town, but history tells us that the shift, the earthquake, was so powerful that it rang church bells in Boston. It cracked sidewalks in D.C. It could be felt in Atlanta. Over a thousand miles away from the epicenter of this earthquake could be felt in different regions because there was a shift in the plate tectonic somewhere something that was over top of the other had shifted and the other one had elevated and the other one had went down the shift impacted the region so much that for three days the Mississippi River flowed backwards not only did it flow backwards for three days but when it returned to its normal route the river began to flow to areas it had never flowed to before because when there's a shift it always changes directions and it always breaks things open that have been hardened before I want you to know today that the Lord has sent me to this church this morning to tell you that there is a divine shift that is happening in this city it's not the politics that's going to bring a divine shift it's not economy that's going to bring a divine shift It's not factories and industry and population. Oh, no, 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 no. There's only one thing that brings a divine shift. It is when people humble themselves before God and pray. He said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way, then what I hear from heaven will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Somebody say, there is a divine shift. Praise the name of the Lord. Calvary was such. You may be seated. Calvary was such because it was the fulfillment of God's plan. You'll find all the way from the Garden of Eden that when man sinned, God had to kill. God had to kill a lamb. And he took of the lamb individually for Adam and Eve. Two animals, one animal per individual. Something had to die because of their mistake. You'll find even in the Levitical law that you'll see that when they were coming You read the book of Exodus. When they were coming out of Egypt, there was a lamb per household. Somebody shout, per household. But on the day of atonement, the law was this, that a lamb would be slain for an entire nation. One lamb for a nation. But when you begin to study Jesus Christ, 
who John the Baptist declared the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God which takes away the sin not just of an individual, not just of a household, not just of a nation, but the blood of this Lamb was so powerful that it would remove the sin of an entire world. Amen. So don't don't, don't get upset at me or judge me wrongfully if I start singing about the power of the blood because if it hadn't been for the blood, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't have what I have. There's still power in the blood of Jesus. Somebody shout, there's power in the blood. And what you'll find is when Jesus died at Calvary, they had tied him already to a whipping post. They'd put 39 stripes on his back. His blood had been running down, not only from his brow. I was preaching a meeting one time, and, and, and I was preaching to a, in a city. In our city, there was, there was hundreds of people under a tent revival. I was preaching in our city. And while I was preaching, I was thinking about a moment that my, my Sawyer, I was telling you about Sawyer, that had a dog named Tom. He's riding one of those stick ponies through the house. You know what I'm talking about? Hot one through. I don't know if he was the Lone Ranger or what, but he was going through the house. He was three years old, and he bumped up against the countertop. When he hit the countertop, there, the, the, he hit just above his brow, got a little scar there. When he did, blood just began to run all instantly, busted, and blood began to run all over his face. My wife was hysterical. She thought he had lost his eye. We think he had lost his mind, amen, but he didn't lose his eye. He, she thought he had lost his eye. Blood is running all over him. I go there and start to clean him up. And when I thought about that, I could hardly get the blood to stop. Just a little boy. I could hardly get that blood to stop. They said so sensitive there. Once you bust the, the, the blood vessels over your, in your forehead, it's hard to get the blood to stop. When they put the crown of thorns over his head, those long spikes drove. Some even believe it went even through the skull. I'm not sure of that. But what I do know, when they put it there, blood began to run over his face. And I could see him as, how many's ever been playing basketball and you start sweating? I know you sweat down here. It's August. You, 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 you walk out the front door and you sweat. Amen. You're playing ball, Brother Peyton, and, and sweat. How many's ever had sweat run over your eye? You, anybody ever done that? You can feel that. You're trying to blow the sweat. He had blood running over his eye. And when they, when they put the crown of thorns on his head, blood began to run over his eyes. And for the first time, he saw the crowd through his own blood. He was looking through the blood at the people when they crowned him king of the Jews. Blood was running over his eyes. and They, they took him and he had to walk up Golgotha's hill and Simon was carrying the cross. And There's a blood trail. I'm a deer hunter. I know what that looks like. A blood trail. You could have followed him all the way up to Calvary. They nailed him to the cross. When they nailed him to the cross and nailed his feet there in his hands, they dropped him probably in some type of hole that was made for the cross to go in and when it jarred him down, blood would have sprinkled off on him from the shaking. Blood would have been all over his body. His face would have been a red appearance, a crimson. His back would have been a red. There would have been blood running down his unclothed legs, dripping off of his feet, running down his toenails, dripping onto the ground. 
But you know what? Nothing had happened with the blood dripping, soaking into the soil from the whipping post to Calvary. Nothing seemingly had happened. It seemingly like it wasn't effective yet. I come to preach to you that the Bible tells us though when he hung on the cross and he took his last breath and he gave up the ghost. He told Pilate, he said, you don't take my life. I give my life. Amen. He could have come off of that cross in any moment. But the scripture says in Hebrews, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. I come to preach to you about Calvary today. He didn't have to die, but he did. He could have come off of the cross any moment, even to the last second. But there was something he was looking forward to. There was something he was looking at. There was something. Somebody shout amen. Amen. The Bible says when he gave up the ghost. When he gave up the ghost. And his body had taken that sagging moment. And not one more time that he pressed. But life left his body. When he died. When he took the last breath. When he died. When there was no more beating of the heart, winking of the eyes, the the breathing of the lungs, when he died. I come to tell you that when he died, the scripture clearly tells us, it says, and he yielded up the ghost. And behold, it says, the veil of the temple was rent twain from the top to the bottom. Everything that had held you from the presence of God, the barrier between you and the miraculous, the barrier between humanity and divinity, the thing that separated your family from a breakthrough, the thing that separated your marriage from a breakthrough, the thing that separated you from being delivered from addiction and lust and chaos and confusion. When he died, it was torn from the top to the bottom. I come to tell you something happened when he died. When he died, the blood that had drifted to the soil, the blood that had drifted to the earth began to have an effect because when he died, the scripture tells us, behold, the veil rent. Everybody say the veil rent. From the top to the bottom. But it didn't stop there. It said the earth did quake. When he died, the earth began to triple. The earth began to respond. It was the earth first that began to shake. Amen. At the shifting of the death of the cross. When he died, something began to move. Something began to break. Something began to change. Because there was power. In the death of the body. Of Christ. It wasn't just his blood being shed. It was the death. Something happened. When the body of Christ. Dies. I said something happens, not just happened. When the body of Christ dies, it was the death of his body that empowered the covenant of his blood. Without the death of the Savior, the blood was in vain. 
and he did not die, there is no hope. But when he died, something happened in the earth that impacted things that were impossible to live. Somebody say, when he died. Because when he died, the perfect blood of the sacrifice was empowered. The Bible says the blood. Amen. Somebody shout the blood. blood. Scripture says without the shedding of the blood is no remission. He said this is, this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Amen. Romans 6, 4 says if we have been, um, uh, uh, when we are baptized into Christ, it says if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You arise to walk in newness of life. And when Jesus died on the cross, it gave hope to every mankind to no matter what you've been, what you've done, what you've said, actions you've made, that there is a start for a new beginning. Watch this. Be seated a moment. Be seated. Somebody shout when the body of Christ dies. Oh, yeah. When he died, five. Because they're dead. I think if we're not careful, we'll want God to do it our way, how we want it, when we want it, what we think is the will of God. That's not the will of God. But there's something that happens 
when a church starts praying and says, not my will, but thine be done. There is such a liberty here this morning. There's a liberty here this morning. I come with a prophetic word to this congregation. That there is something that happens when we go beyond prayer. The Bible tells us, I believe it is in Matthew 26 and 39. The scripture says that Jesus went a little further. He had been to Gethsemane many times. He went to Gethsemane so many times. Uh, you'll find that he went to this place so many times that they, Judas knew exactly where he would be. He visited there oftentimes. But this time, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 and 39, and he went a little further. And he told them, stay awake with me. Y'all stay there. I got to go a little further. And he got at the oil. Gethsemane means an oil press. It's a place where olives are crushed. It's a place where olives are separated from olive oil. Another term for the olives that are crushed is the word flesh. And when the flesh is separated, you have anointing. And he went to Gethsemane and he prayed a prayer, not my will, but thine be done. And he prayed as if it was great, well, sweat was counted as if it was great, drops of blood. He prayed with restraint. Oh God, if this cup can pass for me, any of you want to be nailed to a cross? Any of you want to suffer? Any of you want to give up things? The pleasure of the flesh? He went there and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Somebody say amen. amen. It is a place where you go beyond methodologies and concepts and programs and visions and just, just routines. And say, God, I want something to happen right now. I'll lay whatever down I need to lay down. You can pray and not go further. But there is a commission I feel of the Lord to where it is 100% total surrender. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I will do. Whatever you want me to give up, that's what I will give up. I think it was the summer of my 18th birthday. I believe I turned to 18 while I was there. I was in a town called in Clarksburg, West Virginia. I, I, I tell you what I feel. I feel like right now, Sister Wilson, I feel like I'm standing against the wall pushing. I have cut trees down over the years, and you cut them a little bit, and you get a little bit nervous because you don't know which way it's going to fall. There's been times I, I, I cut the bottom of the tree, and I stand, and I start pushing until I feel it lean. I'm going to tell you what I feel. I feel like right now in this room that you're standing against the wall that has already been broken at the foundation. But we're pushing it and it's about to fall down this morning. That's what I feel. I feel like the wall. I'm going to tell you what I feel. And when the wall comes down, Rahab's get delivered. Boazes are born and King's anointing is revealed. I come to tell this congregation, don't you stop praying. You just keep pushing against the wall. Because the earthquake shatters the walls that separate you from, amen, dimensions. And what God has for you, somebody shout amen. I was in Clarksburg. You can be seated. I was in Clarksburg, West Virginia. I was, I believe in that revival that they had a little birthday deal for me. I believe I turned 18. I was just a young evangelist. And I was there, and I had been praying and seeking the Lord. And, and uh, I fasted for days and prayed for hours. And I got up on a Sunday night. I did a Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night revival. And uh, 
I got up to preach. I preached as good as I knew how. Best as I knew how. And when I, when I finished preaching, and I told everybody, I said, let's all stand. And let's bow our head and close our eyes as I do. I said, if you feel like the words impact, if you feel like God's speaking to you, raise your hand. Not one person raised their hand. Not one person. Not, not one. And uh, I was struggling a little bit, you know. And I said, let's all come to the altars because it made me feel better that everybody came to the altar. Truth of the matter is, if I had given an altar call, nobody would have came. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a Sunday night. And, and I feel like my, the message I preached didn't even reach the front pew. After church at 18 years old, I went down and picked up my message, sort of, you know, not literally, but shoved it back down in my spirit. This is what I told myself. You're too young. You don't know what you're doing. Every time these young preachers get up there and preach, you know, there's going to be moments. There's moments I was a young preacher. I, I start, when I started preaching, first time I preached, I was 11 years old. And I preached a minute and a half. When I got done, I said, that's all, that's all I have. Now that's what they wish. That's all uh, all I got, amen. I remember one time getting up and preaching, and I got somehow page three mixed up with page seven, page ten mixed up with page four. I don't know what happened. And there was this great pause that came in the room, and when I did that, I heard somebody say, help him, Jesus. Bless him, Lord. <laughs> Y'all knew what young preachers had to go through to preach. They got to crawl over their insecurities to get up there and preach. I'm going to tell you right now, I crawled up and I crawled down. Picked this up, and next day I started praying, and yeah, trying it, and 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 nothing happened. I preached the next next day. I don't think I went as far as the last one. I at the church, I picked it up, and I was beating myself down. Us young evangelists used to call it when I was in my teens. We called it APDs. That's after preaching devils. You're nobody. You're a little kid. I climbed in that minivan with the guy I was staying with, the youth director of that church. I climbed in there and I said. Man, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've fasted for days. I've prayed for hours. He looked at me. He said, Bubba, it's not you. If you only knew what was going on in this church. That's what he said. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, there's some guys really good about praying, but we're going to go Pizza Hut first. <laughs> that sounds like apostolics. We're going to have a move of God, but let's go eat pizza. Let's go eat first. And uh, we did. And uh, we went to Pizza Hut, and afterwards we went to the church. There were five of us that were there. And that church in Clarksburg, West Virginia. We started praying. Somewhere, I think it was around midnight we started. And uh, I was up here in this area. We had different corners of the buildings. I was in the altar area. We were praying. I prayed until I didn't know what else to say. You ever been there? I mean, you start, oh, in the name of Jesus, we're believing for revival. Something powerful is going to take place. We're believing God for a breakthrough. And next thing you know, you find yourself an hour or two later, oh, Lord Jesus, if you... Jesus talked about vain repetitions. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Anybody real with me right now? Imagine somebody called me and said, Aaron, 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 Aaron. I probably won't stay on the phone, but that was me. Call it waiting on the Lord. I don't know, but I prayed everything I knew to pray. I don't know what happened. Except in a moment of continued perseverance. Whatever you want us to do. Whatever you want us to say. God, we just kept on. All of a sudden, it was beyond me. It was like this happened. In the spirit. Something broke in the spirit. And when it did, all five of us that were trying to have a prayer meeting. 
began to rejoice and shout. It was evident God had broken something in that service, in that prayer meeting. Something released, something broke, something happened. Praise the name of the Lord. And when it did, we all began to dance and shout. We knew we had a breakthrough. There had been a spiritual shift that had taken place in that late night prayer meeting. The next day is a Tuesday. I get up and start praying, and I can't find a message. I, the Lord's not speaking to me a word. I've had messages the last two days, and I can't find one today. So you know what I did? I just grabbed one that went good at the other place I preached. I grabbed the message and I went to the church and, and, and got there and I'm just an 18-year-old boy and I, I get to the church and, and the pastor's in his office and we had pre-service prayer and he goes around he turns around and prophesies to me. He said, Brother Bounds, he said, the Lord's going to do something in your ministry that he's never done before tonight. He's going to do it tonight. Well, I just received that prophecy, the promise of the Lord and, and we go into the sanctuary. We're actually sitting on this side of the church. Brother Austin, come here and set your chair right here. Come on this side. And... Uh, just sit right here. I was sitting there, and uh, Pastor Voskis, would you go sit beside him? And uh, scoot, scoot on over. Make, make room for your pastor. Amen. God will bless you for making room for your pastor. Everybody say a shift. I came in and sat right there, and the pastor beside me. First song came on, and the first song they started singing, it was sort of, you know, exciting, fast worship music. And when it did, all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord came in that building. It was, in West Virginia, we'd say it's so thick you could cut it with a knife. You could feel conviction. You could feel something that was not, not man-made. It, it didn't come by the music. It didn't come by oratory. It didn't come by gifting. It didn't come by all those things. It, it was there present. And, and the pastor leaned over and looked at me. And he said, he said, Brother Bounds, he said, do you feel that? We haven't been in church three minutes. He said, do you feel that? I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm going to walk to that pulpit. He said, and when I do, I'm going, to, I'm going to change the song to match the atmosphere. He said, after that, I'm going to turn it for you. We haven't been in church three minutes. When he stepped away from me and walked to the pulpit, it's the only time I've ever heard the audible voice of God. And the Lord spoke to me, and his voice came from right there. And the Lord said this to me. He said, he said there are people in this church that have played games with me for years, and I'm angry. He said, because I'm angry, they are in a dangerous place. I didn't have a message, written message, a sermon, if you will. But now I've got a word. I heard. I'd heard from God. It was an audible voice that I've never heard before. And I haven't heard the audible voice since. And I'm 44 now. Pastor got up and changed the song. And when he changed the song, he turned back to me said, handed the service to me, and I walked to the pulpit. And I sort of did like this. I leaned across, and I said, Thus saith the Lord, many of you in this church have played games with me for years, and I'm angry. And because I'm angry, you're in a dangerous place. I didn't give an altar call that, that night. They came running from every corner of that building. They ran to the altar and began to repent. Weeping and crying. I'll never forget the, 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 that, that pastor coming to me. And he stood me right here on this side of the church. And it was just like this. We've been sitting there. Altars, people moaning and weeping in the altar. There's no music playing tonight. And I looked down and he said, He said, Brother Bound, there's five miracles in the altar tonight. I said, Is that right? He said, See that couple right there? 
they, they were sort of kneeling, just left, left of center. He said, see them there? He said, they look the part. They've attended this church for 30 years. Their daughters prayed for them for 30 years. But tonight's the first night in 30 years that they've repented. 30 years. You know why? There had been a divine shift in the atmosphere because some desperate saints said, I'm not going to stop praying until something breaks. I'm not going to stop praying until something, I'm going to give it. I'm going to lay down before the Lord until something breaks. It's a shift. It's a shift. You can't buy it with money. You can't sing enough to get it. You can't preach enough to get it. But when you get on your knees and you pray, it will come to pass. And when it does, hard things will be broken. Hard things will be softened. Everybody say a divine shift. There's people that are not here this morning that are going to be here because of a divine shift. There are prodigals that are going to wake up in pig's pens and come on. Be seated. I was praying this morning felt to share this. Jezebel, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a spirit of Jezebel. There's a spirit. You feel that conviction, don't you? Huh? Lift your hands. Lift your hands. You tell the Lord from this day forward. Lift your hands to the Lord. I want you to begin to tell him from this day forward. Go ahead. Just begin to tell him from this day forward. I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do. There's a shift. There's a shift. How many feel conviction in this room? Lift your hands and respond to that conviction. Come on. Don't play games with God, congregation. Don't put off tomorrow what God's telling you to do today. I wouldn't wait one more service before I made a covenant with the Lord. Come on, you can feel something shifting even now. Feel something shifting even now. I wish somebody would lift your voice the way you feel too. Come on, interrupt the preaching right now. Lift your voice and cry unto the Lord. Lift your voice and cry unto the Lord. Almighty oh, God! Oh, in the name. I I want everybody to hear me. We're going to go back to prayer in just a moment. Elijah. Elijah had been separated for a period of time. God had used and brought a drought because the people's hearts were hardened toward the things of God. I want everybody in this room to listen to me tonight or this morning. Please hear me. The spirit of Jezebel was prevailing upon the earth. That's why she shows up in the book of Revelation. Her goal was to destroy the prophets of God. She wants nothing more than you to compromise your ways and your convictions. Her goal was to build little bell temples all over Jerusalem and change the heart of Jerusalem from Jehovah to other gods. She did a good job in it to what the Bible says that 
the children of Israel halted between two opinions. They didn't know if it was Jehovah or if it was Baal. God dried up the heavens because the God of Baal, the word Baal means the God of the rain. And so the Lord said, I'm going to prove to them who God is. There's people in this room right now that you're in question on what you believe. Because of the spirit of Jezebel. Not because you're bad, but because of influence and choices and people that have come into your life. You listen to this preacher today. I come to warn you that the way of Jezebel will always lead to destruction. Heart! It's hard and probably it's one of the scariest things I've ever heard is a preacher come to me. I mean, not a, a young man that used to be stirred by my preaching. He come to me, he said, I don't it anymore. He said, when you preach, it doesn't bother me anymore. He said, I used to cry when you would preach, but it doesn't phase me anymore. It scared me to death. He scared me to death, and he walked away from the Lord. He used to weep and run to the altar, but it doesn't bother me. You know why? He had overrode conviction preaching so many times he become callous to it. Desensitized to it. He, he, he couldn't feel the pain. Preaching ought to be painful every now and then. The Bible says they were pricked in their heart. That's why you can leave and watch things you shouldn't watch and listen to things you shouldn't listen to and follow people you shouldn't follow and go places you shouldn't go. Things that used to bother, wear things you, you know you shouldn't wear. Why? Because the heart has become hardened by the influence. Jezebel's message is don't listen to the prophets of God. She tried to kill the voice of the preacher. I come to tell somebody, don't you ever hang out with people that tell you don't listen to the pastor. You cut them out of your life and they say, don't you listen to that preacher. That's a spirit of Jezebel trying to drag you to a devil's hell. You need a preacher. How can you hear without a preacher? How can he preach unless God sends him? This isn't about religious obligation. Preach to me, preacher. Tell me what I've got to do to be saved. Don't let me be lost. Pastor, I don't use pastors very often. I don't use pastors very often when I preach because my daddy taught me better than that. But I'm going to let you be the prophet today for a moment. The Bible says that when Elijah showed up, he said, There's going, he said the God that answers by fire, let him be God. That's exactly what he said. The Bible tells us that the Baal prophets couldn't get any response. And Elijah knew they didn't have a God. How I many know oh, there's no other way but Jesus? There's no other way but Jesus. 
Amen. He'll put your marriage together. He'll set you free from every chain and shackle of addiction. How many know he'll heal your emotions and fill your heart up? You don't have to be suicidal anymore because when Jesus comes into your life, he's going to lead you to a better way. He's going to lead you to a better way. I, I, I love those bench altars that I saw. My daddy, every church he planted, he's planted four churches. In those churches, he would always build bench altars and have them in the church for people to repent. Always. And I grew up watching those carpet covered tuba tens or tuba twelves that he'd build. And he'd always bring an altar. Come with me, Pastor. Come with me. I heard you in there praying. I love the church praying before service. And and uh, he repaired. Bring bring that chair. Bring that chair down. And uh, the Bible says he repaired the broken altars of the Lord. Everybody say repaired. Be seated, everybody, but the Pastor. He repaired the broken altars of the Lord. He He's not just your pastor. He's the prophet of the Lord. And when he says God said, lean forward and listen to what God said. Not just a pastor, but a man of God that he puts between you and eternity. That he puts between you and your next choice. And he showed up and he said, the God that answers by fire. This is what he said. There's confusion among you. How long you'll halt between two opinions? He said, let's, let's build an altar to the God that answers by fire. Let's let him be God. He knew what God was going to do because God said, go up and go to Samaria. He said, I'm going to visit them again. He knew. Listen, anytime the preacher's preaching, it's because God's getting ready to visit you again. There's not one person under the sound of my voice that is here by accident. Well, somebody invited me and they've been begging me to come. So I, no, no, no. You're here because God made a way. I don't know 99% of you. But I know what God is saying. And he repaired the broken altar of the Lord. And he told the, and, he, and, he, and he got wood and laid wood on it. He got stones, 12 stones, 12 tribes. Everybody, everybody hold a stone. I mean, it's heavy, so you're going to have to slump a little bit to hold that stone. 12 stones. I don't know how big they were. But there was 12 of them because he wanted everybody to be involved. 12 tribes. And those stones represented the hardened hearts of the people of God. Not Samaritans. The Jews that had wandered away, wavered. They got off track. They lost their way. And laid, they laid those stones down. Watch what he did because you can never have an altar without blood in it. If there's, God never responds to an altar that has no sacrifice. Convenient prayer meetings. Convenient prayer. I, I, I'm going to tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. Don't obey Him. We go to church with our hand out. Go to the altar trying to receive instead of the altars were always a place where we die. Altars are about death. It's where you kill your attitude and kill your desires and your ambitions and say, I want the will of God. I want the Paul said, I die daily. I present my body a living sacrifice. Some of you in the room are from one prayer meeting from a breakthrough for your entire family. There are cities that are not far from here 
that are going to be represented from this church. But it's one altar away from a burden being released and a breakthrough happening. There are cities not far from here that will have an apostolic witness because one altar is built and somebody puts a death on that altar and says, God, give me a burden. I'll go. Whatever you want me to do. It's not what, oh, I'll give up my career if I have to, but I want to do your will. That's what this is about. He laid the wood. And this is what he said. He said, I want you to go get 12 barrels of water. Go get 12 barrels. Three and a half years of no water. They're trying to find small streams in any pasture. They can't really find it. But somewhere they got in the reservoir. They got in the reservoir found 12 barrels of water. Somebody say 12 barrels of water. 12 tribes. The Lord spoke to me in June of 1999. And this is what he said. I woke up in June 1999. It's a Tuesday morning when I woke up. Very few times has the Lord ever spoken to me. And instantly when my eyes opened. But he did. He said. He said the fire cannot fall on the altar. Until you give what you cannot afford to give. He said at Elijah's day at Mount Carmel. He said they couldn't afford to give water. He said your generation can't afford to give time. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time for outreach. I don't have time to carry a burden. I don't have time to get up in the middle of the night. I, I, I've got too much. I'm too weary. I don't have time to fast. If we are not careful, we will take all of our time to to. To, to, to swell up our lives and do what we want. But what God is saying to, to Bethlehem on this Sunday morning, if you'll pour some time on the altar, if you'll make some sacrifice on the altar, there's going to be a divine shift that you cannot calculate and you cannot see the end of it. What he's about to do is bigger than anything you've ever seen. But there's got to be a shift. There's got to be a breakthrough. you to clap your hands and say there's a breakthrough coming. The Bible says he got on his knees. Be seated. He got on his knees. Would you get on your knee beside the altar? It's sopping wet. There's a ditch around about it. It's full of water. There's stones laid. There's wood. There's, there's blood. A bullock sacrifice laid there. It's sopping wet. And the Bible says that the prophet of the Lord got on his knees and said, God, hear me this day and answer my prayer that these people may know that you are God. Send the fire. He prays that prayer. The Bible said that the fire fell out of heaven. I'm not, I'm not talking about just uh, some movement religion. I'm talking about a divine shift. That people that haven't been here in years run to the church. I'm talking about a building next door that can't contain what he's wanting to do. That you have to send people to other cities because it's bigger than. Talking about a divine change. A divine shift in the family. There is a divine shift. It's divine. It's divine. The Bible says that the fire fell and it licked up the water. It licked up the wood. It licked up the sacrifice. But this is something God showed me on a Saturday morning. It licked up the stones. It was so hot. 
the stones melted. And it was a Saturday morning prayer meeting. And I was on this side of the church. I was praying. I was thunder praying. And God spoke to me. He said, Aaron, you can build an altar that's so hot, it can melt the hardest of hearts. Come on, what mom and daddy am I preaching to right now? What church member am I preaching to right now? That you want to see a divine shift in your family. You want to see a prodigal revival like you've never seen. If you want that, I want you to clap your hands and lift your voice and shout to the Lord. For there's a divine shift. I say there's a divine shift. I want you to look at your neighbor and say there's a divine shift. Believe it, say amen. Pastor, when he got up from that altar, the fire consumed. And in one revival, in one altar, in one divine shift, what Jezebel spent decades destroying was turned around in one prayer meeting. One prayer meeting. One altar. Do y'all believe what I'm preaching to you? And the Bible says the entire nation of Israel fell on their knees and repented. And they said, the Lord, he is the God. Come on, there's a great awakening coming. But there's got to be a divine shift. There's a breakthrough. Jump to your feet, clap your hands and shout. There's a divine shift here this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast until it happens. I'm not going to leave the altar until it happens. I'm going to obey God until it happens. But there's a divine. Some of you have given up on family members that have been gone for years. But I come to tell you they're coming home in Jesus' name. They're coming home in the name of Jesus. Stand your feet all over the building. Everybody on your feet. There's a divine shift. I got up from that altar, and the Lord revealed to me one of those people that needed a breakthrough. I got up from my altar, Bishop. I knew he'd be home. I pulled in his driveway. His daddy was an elder in our church many years ago. He was backslid for 50 years. His name was Mike Dunlap. I got up from my altar, weeping and crying, feeling led by the Lord. I drove to his house. Pulled into his driveway. There was no vehicle there, but I know he's home because the Lord had sent me. He smoked so much that the outside of his siding, where you get into his house, the front door, was stained yellow around the cracks. I knocked on the door. I heard a voice say, come in. Opened the door. Went into that room. When I went in, he was sitting to my right, sitting in his recliner with a cigarette in his hand. I walked right past him. The ceilings were stained yellow. The walls were stained yellow. He sat there for years. The backslider. I walked in. I said, the Lord sent me to you, Brother Mike. And the Lord told me and tell you that he loves you. That if you'll repent, he'll forgive you right now. He said, me? He'll forgive me? He said, I haven't tithed in years. I said, I don't care. The Lord said, if you'll repent, he's going to forgive you today. and He's going to forgive you. I watched as he took the cigarette in his hand and stamped it down the ashtray. Lift his hands and said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm 
sorry. And when he did, tears began to run down his face. And I watched as he began to speak in the heavenly language as God gave him the ability to speak. God, in one altar moment, moment, what 50 years of destruction couldn't hold him from one moment of, of deliverance. There is power. He, I want you to say deliverance is on the way. Shout deliverance is on the way. He repented and the God forgave him. And two months later he went to be with the Lord. You're talking about right on time. The Holy Ghost. Lift your hands right now over this building. The Holy Ghost is going to reveal names. He's going to reveal names in your prayer. Come on, saint of God. Lift your voices and pray. Lift your voices and pray. I don't care how long you've been away from the Lord. He's not done with you yet. He's waiting on you to surrender your heart to Him. He's waiting on you to surrender. He's waiting on you to turn it over to Him. He's not done with you. He's not done with you. every eye closed right now every head bowed and every eye closed the Lord said you need to get it right with him you need to get it right with him God's going to be a, bring a breakthrough to your family but he needs you to start today and get it right with him today every head bowed and every eye closed not one person looking around but me if you're here right now, the Lord's dealing with your heart. I want you to raise your hand to the Lord. Raise your hand. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. God is calling on you again. His spirit will not always strive with man, but he's calling on you right now. He's calling you to make it right. Hallelujah. This entire room's going to be an altar. If you raise your hand, I want you to come to this altar. Come on. If you raise your hand, don't, don't think about don't think about what somebody else is saying. I'm not playing games with God anymore. 
I'm not going to be halted between opinions. No, no, today I get it right. Come on, there's a call, an old-fashioned call of conviction, prayer, and repentance. He let him on. You ministers help me in this altar, but there's a divine shift coming to so many families. The blood.
reach over and pray for somebody close to you. Pray one for another. The Spirit of the Lord is moving, dealing. That's right. Pray one for another. Two are better than one. Threefold cord is not easily broken. Pray one for another. Hallelujah. God, these are your people, Lord. God, this is your church. These are your people. This is your witness in the world, Lord. I pray your blessing over them, God. Your anointing, O oh Lord Jesus. Your peace, your joy, your power, your demonstration. This is your heritage, Lord, in the earth. Put your hand on your people over their families. I'm not going to preach. I'm certainly not going to try to preach after that. 
And this is not public confession time, so don't worry. But I would dare say that almost everyone in here knows what your biggest spiritual hindrance is, right? It's not a secret, is it? How many know what needs to die in your life? Come on, raise your hand, leave it up. We know, don't we? Very few of us would ever get to heaven and be surprised. That's what my problem was. We all know what it is. But we heard the man of God say that when the body dies, the shift happens. And we know the things in our lives that need to die, don't we? you've been around church long, you know what things in your life need to change for that shift to happen. But if we want graves to open and we want the earth to shake, it doesn't happen until we deal. It's one thing to say, God, we want revival out there, but we know that it has to happen here first, don't we? Amen. Thank you, Brother Bounds, for obeying the Holy Ghost. It's going to be awesome. Four o'clock today, ministry class. I told Brother Austin if we need to move it out of the discipleship room into the sanctuary, that would be great. Prayer, six o'clock. Five years ago, I was in Beirut, Lebanon. In the middle of the night, the Lord woke me up with somebody on my heart and I saw a vision of that person in the altar begging God to save her family. While Brother Browns was preaching this morning, I got a burden for that same lady. I need five women that you know your gift is the ministry of intercession to find me after service. And I'm going to ask you to covenant to pray for this situation, for this person, because I believe that their breakthrough is one altar away. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word and thank you for your people. God, there's so much that's happening in this altar right now. And God, I pray that this fruit comes to complete fruition in this the life of this church. Thank you for the word and thank you for your presence and thank you for your people and thank you for the man of God. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget the five ladies. If you know it's your ministry to intercede, I want you to find me. Don't forget about we need to raise the rest of this money so we can get this projection situation finalized. First steps for all of our guests and our new members, we want you to come to the dining room of the new building, the educational facility, and spend some time with you. Amen. We're going to have a great time in Jesus' name today. Four o'clock ministry class, five o'clock be free, six o'clock prayer, church at 630. If you're bored, it's your fault. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.